Thank you. Uh, now, if you'd like to uh, keep your Bible open at uh, Philippians 4, that's the main text that we'll be looking at today. And I realize that there's so much things uh, inside the text that we can be uh, looking and chewing on. So I, my prayer is that we'll be able to help all of us to get the main uh, thrust of that passage uh, in Philippians 4 and how that uh, kind of uh, come together with the rest of the chapters in the letter. So it's been wonderful, uh, a great privilege to be here, uh, to be able to encourage you with God's Word. And uh, yeah, so I, I pray that uh, all of us will be able to uh, be encouraged by God's Word today. And uh, there's actually an outline in the bulletin, which I hope will be useful uh, for you to follow through uh, the talk. Now, as I've uh, just uh, shared briefly, um, next year, God willing, will be involved uh, in this uh, church plan in Adelaide. Now, it's always uh, exciting to be involved uh, in a pioneering work, because it's the first time that uh, that church is going to be planting uh, a Mandarin-speaking church. Uh, not that there is no other Chinese churches, but particularly with this church, Holy Trinity, they are starting this uh, Mandarin uh, work, and uh, it's along this uh, language line which they are uh, starting. And uh, prior to that, they have actually planted many of those uh, smaller uh, churches as well. Um, I think about four to six uh, such churches. So it's been quite exciting to be involved uh, in that pioneering work in that sense. But, uh, you know, it's also exciting because there is a new place that we're going to be uh, in Adelaide, uh, South Australia. Uh, we have never been through uh, that place before. We only went there in May. And I understand uh, summer can reach a temperature of 41 degrees Celsius. So you need an aircon in that summer weather. So it's uh, you know, exciting to be uh, with a new move, uh, with a new place, the new environment, you know, for our kids also to get to know uh, brothers and sisters in the new church. I was just thinking, you know, when, when all this excitement uh, comes to, uh, you know, settle down, uh, you know, the questions that I need to be asking, uh, I think it's an important question that I need to be asking myself if I were to shepherd, uh, under-shepherd this church, I need to be asking, uh, you know, what is God trying to accomplish uh, through this fellowship, through this church? What is He trying to uh, do with the people? will join us in that church plan. Now, I think the same questions uh, can be asked uh, in any uh, many situations in yours as well, in any ministry situations, uh, in the ministries that you're already involved in, uh, or perhaps even the new initiatives that you're going to start uh, with this church. I'm quite excited uh, with the third service uh, happening since October. Um, you know, but as leaders, as leaders, we need to be asking, isn't it, what is the end goal uh, of all this work? And uh, where would God be pleased uh, for us to bring the people to? Now, I hope from uh, today's uh, Philippians 4, uh, we, we can get some uh, insight and understanding into where uh, God might want us to uh, encourage the people towards. Now, from the letter uh, to Philippians, uh, we know what is Paul's uh, concern. Uh, that is the gospel partnership that he has with uh, the brothers and sisters there in Philippi. Now, Paul desires that the believers at uh, Philippi, the Philippians, that they'll be willing to partner with him uh, continuous uh, in this uh, gospel work. And we know that this is the, the case because uh, if you were to turn back to Philippians chapter 1, you look, like, uh, you look at uh, verse 3, for example, all the way to verse uh, 5, you realize that uh, that's the cause of uh, thanksgiving towards God that uh, Paul has to, uh, about the Philippians, uh, uh, about their prayers, uh, about the partnerships that they have in the gospel from the first day in verse 5 until now. And then uh, Paul being confident that uh, God who has begun this good work, the gospel partnership that uh, he has helped the Philippians uh, together with him, God will continue to carry this good work to its completion until the end, uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. And uh, even towards the end of the letter, which we're going to look at uh, later, we realize that Paul continues to exhort 
continues to remind the believers about their partnership in the gospel with him. And Paul knows that uh, only a maturing uh, Christian, a Christian who is on a path to maturing, and also a followers, true followers of Jesus, can they be true partners with him in the gospel, in his work. So because of that, Paul longs to see uh, the believers maturing in Christ. And to that end, as we have seen uh, throughout this letter that has written, he's trying to uh, encourage the believers to be more and more mature in him. So if you have been uh, following this uh, series in Philippians, uh, prior to this, we have seen how uh, Paul has encouraged the believers, even though uh, they have faced persecution as a result of receiving this gospel and believing in Jesus. Uh, towards the end of chapter 1, where he tried to encourage them to continue contending for this faith, to stand firm as one man, so that they can continue uh, to spread this gospel to the unbelievers. And then we have also seen how uh, Paul encourages the uh, believers to have the mind of Christ, uh, to have that humility, which they have seen Jesus on the cross, and how uh, Paul also encouraged the believers and especially warned them about the false teachers amongst them, who may be teaching confidence in the flesh, rather than confidence or faith in Jesus. So you see, Paul longs, Paul longs that the Philippians will grow in their Christian maturity. And towards the end, he will continue to encourage them uh, throughout his letter. And he wouldn't want uh, any obstacles in their way to stop them from maturing and growing. Because only maturing Christians can partner with him in this gospel work. So even as we come to this uh, last portion of the letter, uh, we see that Paul continues to encourage the believers so that they can mature and stand firm in this gospel truth, to become true partners with him in this work. So, for example, uh, we've seen, we see how Paul uh, encourages uh, these uh, two sisters in Christ, uh, Yodia, and uh, I pronounce this name as Sintiki. I'm not sure whether that's the right way to pronounce it, but I'll just pronounce it as Sintiki. Yodia and Sintiki, these two sisters. And Paul encourages these two sisters uh, to, in a fellowship uh, to, to agree in the Lord, to agree in the Lord. Now, of course, uh, we're, not tro- uh, we're not told uh, by, by Paul himself uh, what causes uh, these two sisters to have such a fallout or disagreement. But whatever the cause might be, whatever the cause might be, Paul encourages them to agree in the Lord. So, for example, if you see um, verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord, to agree in the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, in, in a fellowship like this size, right, uh, for, for that matter, fellowships of any size, I think uh, we would have uh, in the past been involved or even been implicated in uh, broken fellowships, uh, relationships uh, with one another, whether in the past or even in the present. And we know that there, there could be many causes, isn't it? Many causes that uh, causes us to disagree with each other, uh, resulting therefore in a break, breaking down in those uh, fellowships that we have. But mind you, uh, whatever the cause might be, there's only one way. There's only one way in which we can come back together. And that is what Paul encourages them to do, to agree in the Lord, to have the mind, the same mind in the Lord. Now, how are the quarreling brothers and sisters uh, to agree in the Lord? Well, Paul has already given us uh, some ideas, isn't it? I mentioned about the same mind in, in the Lord. Why, well, if, we, if we come across uh, that, we have come across that in chapter 2, for example, in chapter 2, verse 5, and the song we have sung, isn't it? The same mindset. To have the same mindset as Christ Jesus is to have the same mind in the Lord. And thankfully, Paul has also explained uh, earlier in chapter 2 how this mind of Christ looks like. So, for example, uh, in chapter 2, verse uh, 3 to 4, 
We encourage the the believers to do nothing, to do nothing uh, from rivalry or conceit. Where it says there, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, uh, value others above yourselves. And in verse 4, not looking at your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. That's, that's the mind of Christ. I think that Paul is trying to encourage these two sisters to have as they uh, resolve the disagreement with each other. So to agree in the Lord is actually to have the same mindset as uh, Christ himself. Now, whenever there is a broken fellowship or relationship, whichever party is, whether the, the injured uh, one uh, or the one causing hurt, uh, if both sides were to have the same mindset as Christ, to agree in the Lord, to have the same mind as the Lord, then I think uh, resolving, uh, res- there is resolving to do nothing from rivalry or conceit and humility to count others more significant than themselves, looking to the interests of the other person, then I think the issues that may have caused the brokenness in a fellowship will quickly be resolved, I believe. Now, of course, the party that has committed wrong, the person who has committed wrong, whether it's a brother or sister, must, must repent. I mean, to, to say sorry to God, because after all, when we have sinned against each other, we're actually sinning, first of all, against Him. So the person who has committed the wrong should seek forgiveness from the Lord and from those that we have hurt. And that will take a lot of humility, doesn't it? We need to have the mind of Christ to do this. And I think even for the party that has been offended, the brothers or sisters who has been offended, they must also be humble and generously forgiving those who have sinned against him or her. That's what humility looks like. That's what the mind of Christ looks like. And when there's no, dis- when there's no agreement in the Lord, when the fellowship remains broken, uh, it not only, I think, affects the people who are involved in this uh, broken relationship, uh, but it actually would have some cost to the gospel partner partnership that's happening within the church. You see, Paul is concerned that, that the church in Philippi continues with him, remember, in a gospel partnership. But the believers will not be able to do this if their fellowship remains broken. Just think about it, right? I mean, if, there's a, if I were to walk in this morning and I just realized that there were actually few a uh, few factions going around here, and that's because they don't quite agree with each other, I think I'll be very careful. I will need to be very careful to be on my toll so that I will not uh, hurt one party and hurt, injure the others and so on and so forth. But of course, uh, that kind of fellowship, I think unbelievers or new friends wouldn't want to come, isn't it? Or once they taste it, they wouldn't want to return. And we shouldn't be surprised, right, to see that uh, they stop coming. You see, where there is a broken down relationship or fellowship of those around us, we realize that uh, this fellowship cannot be a good witness for Christ. Now, when such thing happens, I think those around us must also be in a, uh, must also help as well in the process of uh, such reconciliation. For example, in verse 3, you'll see that uh, Paul actually encourages those around to actually uh, be involved in this reconciliation. He says, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women. Help uh, Yodia and Syndicate since they have uh, contended at my side in a cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So it's not just the responsibilities, uh, I think, of uh, the parties involved who are having this uh, disagreement in the Lord, but I think all of us as well in the fellowship, I think we need to help each other towards reconciliation. 
Now, whenever we see uh, brothers and sisters in uh, the fellowship struggling with broken fellowships, uh, relationships, I think we ought to help. But I think it's uh, it, it's kind of, kind of easy and tempting, right? To um, you know, in our effort to support, then we start to uh, take sides. For example, I'll stay with this uh, couple. I'll stay with this individual because uh, I have more relationship with this person. And I think the process of that taking side will actually cause the rift to widen. So I think we need to be very careful that we don't take sides. And uh, brothers and sisters, I think when we are involved uh, in the work of helping others reconcile, we need also to remember um, a truth, uh, as the Bible says. Uh, it says the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. Uh, they go down into the inner parts of the body. That's taken from Psalm 18, verse 8. we got to watch out, right? we got to watch out that uh, in the name of sharing, um, that we like to listen to all these things. And then uh, after that, uh, you know, to get behind their backs and then start to spread the gossips around. And then not just that, but uh, add a little bit of salt, vinegar in the process. Uh, making the raves uh, and the differences between the quarreling brothers and sisters wider or worse. So I think those things we need to be careful. But I think Paul here has actually taught us how to go about uh, resolving that issues. Uh, whatever we do to help, it must be for the sake of the gospel going out to the unbelievers. Right, so that, that, that must be the goal end, right? So for this, for the gospel itself to go out to the unbelievers as we seek to resolve the issues between brothers and sisters in disagreement. And the purpose of us supporting and encouraging brothers and sisters in disagreement is so that they can come back together. Come back together, uh, quickly to agree in the Lord and to persevere with us and as fellow, uh, partners in the gospel. And I think, uh, if that's the case, then we need really lots of, uh, help from God Himself. We need to be praying for the parties involved, beginning with ourselves. Uh, we need to be asking God to help us to have the wisdom, uh, help us to trust in the Lord, help us uh, not to lead people to ourselves, but point them to the Lord. And we need to be praying for those uh, parties involved as well, praying that the Lord, uh, through His Spirit and His Word, will bring about that convictions to have the mind of Christ. Praying that those involved with the mind of Christ, uh, the offender to be humble, uh, seeking forgiveness and the offended party to be gracious, forgiving others in the same way, just as the Lord has forgiven them. Now, because, uh, it's easy to say, right? But I think it's important that we work towards this direction. Because, you see, unresolved disagreement in, within a fellowship or within a church, a continuous uh, striving with each other, um, has a costly outcome, as we've said. Because as a fellowship or as a church, we will not be able to effectively witness Christ and will not be attractive at all to the unbelievers. So believers who squabble cannot make good gospel partners. They cannot. And I think that's why Paul writes to encourage uh, these two sisters uh, to agree and at the same time uh, other brothers and sisters within the fellowship to help these uh, two quarreling sisters to agree. Now next, uh, keeping our eyes uh, on the Lord Jesus, keeping our sight on the Lord Jesus. Now, to grow in maturity, I think believers have to keep their sight on the Lord Jesus all the time. And I think that's what we read about in verses 4 to 7. Now, take a look with me in verses 4 to 7. Now, these two verses are actually quite purple verses in a sense. We like to turn to, as a pastor, I like to turn to these verses and help those who are actually struggling. Especially if you look at, for example, in verse 7, just look at the promise, right? Uh, verse 6 uh, encourages us you know, to pray. And then in verse 7, the promise of the peace of God 
that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So if you like, uh, that, that's, a, that's a few verses that I'd like to go to whenever I want to encourage uh, brothers and sisters to, to pray. But I was just wondering, is, is that, uh, is that uh, how we understand these verses? Besides uh, the focus on prayer, which is there, uh, besides uh, emphasizing the power of prayer, are there other things which uh, perhaps we need to know? And why has Paul included these verses here? Why focusing particularly on prayer? So in preparing this talk, uh, I have uh, more opportunity to just uh, reflect a little bit more. And I realized that uh, perhaps um, Paul wants us to actually uh, to keep our sight. He wants the believers to keep our sight on the Lord himself. So for example, in verses 4 to 7, every verse, we realize that uh, the name of the Lord is mentioned. The name of God is mentioned. For example, in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. And in verse 6, uh, let your requests be made known to God. And in verse 7, the peace of God, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I think uh, yeah, prayer is important, it's mentioned here, but I think perhaps uh, Paul wants the believers to keep our sight trained and focused on God and Christ himself. You see, how are the believers to have a, a rejoicing heart? Well, it's as long as they keep their eyes on Jesus, isn't it? On the Lord. How can their reasonableness be known to others? Well, only when they continue in the Lord. How can they in all things pray and experience the peace of God? Well, only if they continue to keep their sight on Jesus and on God. You see, Paul has made this uh, quite clear, isn't it? It is actually God who is able to do all these things. So, for example, uh, early in chapter 1 of his letter, Paul would say, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The power of God. And then again in chapter 2, where it says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul here wants the believers to keep their eyes trained on the Lord himself. For only the Lord is able to do all these things as promised here. Now when believers' uh, focus is on the Lord, of course their first response when confronted by any kind of circumstances, their first response would be to pray. Because that's the only thing we can do when we focus our eyes on God. We pray. God in sovereignty, he may not change the situation we are in. For example, he didn't uh, pull out Paul from his imprisonment. He didn't, uh, in a sense, uh, rescue the believers from the uh, persecutions they face. So God in his sovereignty may not change the situation. But when the believers focus and keep their sight in the Lord, God will work in and through their prayer. For what, for what God wants to accomplish is for the believers to grow in their trust in the Lord, to rejoice, to rejoice in Him even in the midst of opposition so that believers can really experience the peace of God that comes from Him, that will then guard their hearts and their minds in Christ. And believers will continue to face temptation in this crooked and twisted generation. God may not change the circumstances that we are in, but God can, through our prayers, guard our hearts and our minds so that we can be blameless, innocent children of God. So I think that's what perhaps Paul is wanting the believers to do, keep their sight keep their sights and their focus in Christ and on God. And the next verse is even more interesting, isn't it? 
In verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you see, Paul wants the believers to keep growing and maturing, and the best way is to keep thinking about these things. What's true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. But what are these things? What are these things? Well, I believe these are the things about the gospel. These are the things about the Lord Jesus himself. And these are the things that is associated with what the gospel can bring about in believers. Now, transformation of our lives has to begin with a transformed mind, isn't it? So that's what we read just now in Romans 1, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul will exhort the believers there uh, to be transformed by the renewer of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. And this transformation of life can only change from the inside out through the renewer of the mind. And this renewal comes by meditating on the things that Paul mentions here. Things associated with the gospel, things associated with Jesus, and things associated with the lives that's transformed by him. A mind that is held captive by Christ is a life that is held captive by him. And it begins with such meditation. But we must admit, isn't it, it's quite challenging to be constantly, uh, you know, in our busy and hectic life in Singapore, uh, to be doing this, isn't it? There's just so much things that fills our minds and our hearts when we are awoken each day. God must help us. God must help us to do this. And we need all the encouragement that we have uh, from the Word of God, like today, to help us, you know, to keep uh, meditating on these things associated with the Gospel, to follow the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. That's what we read throughout this uh, Philippians, uh, the letter. And we need each other, isn't it? We need each other in our fellowship to keep reminding to encourage us to do this as we fellowship with each other. So it's not just good uh, singing a song, which was good. I mean, we, we, we sang the song, The Lord is Near, right? We talk about all these things. But it's not just good singing those songs, but it's what you do after you step out of this uh, room, isn't it? Uh, do you continue to talk about the things that uh, matters to him? Are those things that Paul has listed here, the, the, the central of your conversation? Or is it just on a peripheral? The next thing I want to talk about is uh, Singapore laws yesterday. <laughs> Well, we can be, we can be allowing many conversations to actually, uh, in a sense, uh, usurp, isn't it? To take away uh, the things that we have uh, been looking at in God's Word. And I think it's important to, to keep uh, allowing this, what we have learned uh, in God's Word, to encourage us even throughout the conversation, not just today, but throughout the week as well, to pray in those things, to pray in those things for ourselves, to pray in those things for our uh, fr- friends that we know here, brothers and sisters, to pray in for other families that we know struggling with certain things, right? So we can be praying those things that we've heard um, here and also to keep meditating on them. Because unless your mind is transformed, isn't it? unless our mind is renewed, our life won't be captured by Christ. It begins there. Now, I must say, uh, our time in uh, London has been quite refreshing. As I've uh, mentioned, we, we were there for 22 months. Um, it's hectic. I mean, we I was involved with a part-time Cornhill and also uh, part-time serving in the church. And then at home, uh, helping Lydia, and Lydia was doing most of this homeschooling for the kids. So life can be quite hectic from moving from one uh, thing to the other. But at the end, as uh, myself and Lydia, we were, we were just reflecting, I think we have been refreshed greatly. We have been encouraged greatly, even though we are quite uh, you know, 
at times uh, feeling a bit crushed, you know, by all those uh, demands. And we realize it's because of the the weekly faithful teaching of God's Word about Jesus. And uh, the meditation upon the things about Jesus, about the Gospel. And just the time that we have spent uh, in a, you know, Bible uh, studies, where we spend a whole year looking at Mark's Gospel, a whole year looking at John's Gospel, we're just being refreshed and encouraged because it's all about about Him. And the things that we meditate upon, the devotion that we do, and all this, just, just keep encouraging us, refreshing us, renewing us from inside out, from the mind into our lives. And that helps us, I think, to grow in our devotion to, to God and also our desire to serve Him and to make Him known. I think that that's what Paul is trying to encourage the believers uh, towards. And Paul is not just uh, you know doing this uh, because you know he is writing a letter. He himself did likewise. Because uh, we've read, isn't it? He, he said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So if you like, you, you know, if you ask, if you ask Paul, what's the most important things for you in your life? Well, he would say, nothing more important than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And there's a summary verse in Paul's life. Well, he can say, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That's his purpose in life. Chapter 1, verse 20. So Paul is not just writing. Uh, he's actually writing to encourage the believers to follow his examples, because that's what he did. And brothers and sisters, I, I think in our gathering, in our fellowship, as we spur one another to think about these things, the gospel, Things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent things, anything worthy of praise. When we allow the gospel of Christ to so fill our hearts, our minds, then I think we can grow to be like Paul himself as we follow his examples. With full courage, now as always, to honor Christ in our bodies. And that's what Paul is encouraging them to keep going. And when that happened, only when that happens, as we mature in the gospel, we will become effective partners in this work. Standing firm in the gospel truth till the day of Christ himself. So now we come to the last point, the gospel partnership. Now only, only a maturing fellowship, only a maturing church can there be effective gospel partner work going where for the sake of the gospel, the believers work together, contend for this faith. And remember, uh, just now we have said, this is what Paul has given thanks to God for uh, for them, because they have uh, been involved in the, in the so-called partnership uh, with him since the start of his ministry. And even towards the end of this letter, Paul actually reminds them how they have entered into the gospel partner with him, um, giving and receiving when no other churches did. Can you see, uh, for example, in chapter 4, right? It tells us. He says that in verse uh, 15, towards the end, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in a matter of giving and receiving, except you only. So Paul reminds them of their involvement with him as early as that. And as Paul writes, he reminds the believers, even as he moved on to Thessalonica, the believers uh, sent Paul help for his needs. And we see that it's not just once, more than once, when he, were, he was in need and he received it from them in verse 16. Now, why did Paul remind the believers about their partnership in this gospel? 
Why, why did Paul remind them? I mean, he gave thanks uh, about them in chapter 1, but he reminded them again of their partnership in the gospel. Well, besides being the main theme in the letter, but why did Paul do this? Just so that he can obtain more financial support from them? To remind them how you have been you know, faithful and uh, would like you to encourage you to keep giving you know, so that we can keep doing this work? Well, no. If you look carefully, uh, Paul doesn't need that support. He didn't do it for himself. For he says in verse 11, I'm not saying these because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. You see, Paul doesn't need, doesn't need, the, in a sense, the gospel partners uh, to keep going so that he can fulfill his own needs. It's not because of his lack. For Paul has learned, as it says in verse 11, a secret. In proclaiming this gospel, Paul has learned what contentment, what true contentment is. And to rejoice in the Lord in all situations, as it says there. In verse um, 12, I know what it is to be neat, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, living in plenty, or in want. You see, Paul has learned this secret. The Lord has taught Paul to depend on him. And it says in verse 13, I can do all these through him who gives me strength. So it's the Lord that Paul trusts and depends upon to supply all his needs. Now, brothers and sisters, I think Paul's life must truly encourage us, isn't it? No matter what our present situations or circumstances might be, whether is it plentiful, whether is it in want, whether is it in situation of abundance or in need, you and I, all of us, we can be involved in the work of the gospel. You and I, we can all stand firm in one spirit to strive side by side for the faith, becoming true partners in this gospel. But oftentimes in our own weaknesses, right, whether it's uh, physical or otherwise, in our weaknesses, we may just uh, start to look into our own situations a bit more, isn't it? We pay less of uh, what's going on outside. We start to lament about our own selves. We may think to ourselves, you know, how can we commit ourselves? You know, how can we commit ourselves in both energy, strength, and money into this work when we ourselves have needs? Now, brothers and sisters, let's not just keep focusing on our lacks, on our wants, on our needs, our weaknesses. Rather, let's keep our sight on the Lord Himself, because that's what Paul did. He kept his sights on Jesus. And he trusts that he can do all these things through the Lord who gives him strength. And that's what we need to keep our focus on. Remember Paul, I, you know, Paul wrote this letter, if you remember, where did he write this letter from? Not from the comfort of his own armchair. No, he wrote this letter from his imprisonment. Even though Paul has suffered greatly because of the gospel, yet he's prepared, as he says in the letter, even to be poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of the believer's faith. How did Paul do this? Where did he get you know, all the strength from to give himself so fully to this gospel work? Well, Paul's secret is this. He did all these things through the Lord who strengthens him. And that's what we need to keep our focus and train our eyes on. So, brothers and sisters, uh, through Paul's encouragement, let us trust in the Lord who is strong. Even though we're weak, but the Lord who is strong through our weaknesses, He can help us to do the work He has prepared for us to walk in. So that when we have accomplished all these things, 
We won't be looking at it and say, well done, me. No. We will give glory not to ourselves, but to the one who has strengthened us to walk in this work. So let us learn the examples of Paul, and I think also the example of Timothy, Epaphroditus, as mentioned in the letter. Let us learn all these things and to depend on the Lord to do it. So coming back to the question we asked earlier, if Paul has not intended to obtain or secure more financial help, uh, then why then has he written this? Why has he written to remind them about their gospel partnership? Well, see, Paul has done this not for himself, but for the sake of the believers. See how other person centered Paul is, right? It's even for the believers. You see, in, in seeking the gospel partnership amongst the believers, Paul is seeking the fruit that increases to their credit. As we say in verse 17, in our version, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul has written this gospel partners, uh, written to them about this gospel partnership, uh, to remind them to keep doing this. Why? So that more can be credited to their account. Now understand that this uh, fruit or this uh, credit that Paul is talking about is referring to the gospel fruitfulness of the believers. The gospel bearing fruit in and through their believers as they grow in maturity, as they make Christ known. And in becoming partners with uh, Paul in his gospel work, the believers are showing the fruitfulness of the gospel in their lives. And that's why it adds on to their credit. Just like the, Paul, uh, the kind of life that Paul describes in chapter 1, the kind of good work that the Lord is doing in and through their lives. And believers coming alongside Paul in this gospel work shows that they are still standing firm in the gospel. They are still contending as one man for the faith. And they are still yearning for this gospel to go out and be involved in the work of the gospel. And to that end, to that end, Paul has written this letter to encourage the believers to keep going, keep going till the day of Christ. So brothers and sisters, uh, the, the prospect of going to Adelaide and to be involved in uh, so-called uh, a pioneering work there, it, it can be quite uh, exciting and I think daunting as well. But I think when all this excitement has died down, what I hope, what I hope to see is this, that through the faithful teaching of God's word, the proclamation of the gospel, that those brothers and sisters who join us will be built up in their faith to maturity, having the mind of Christ, agreeing in the Lord, that they will keep their eyes trained on Jesus and to bear the fruit of the gospel as they actively partner with me in this gospel work. Not so that this church will grow to be bigger and better, but that more and more Mandarin speakers in Adelaide might come under the sound teaching of this gospel and be safe. And at the end, all praise and glory and honour goes to him, Jesus himself. And brothers and sisters, I pray too that this would be your same conviction and hope as you're involved in ministries uh, weekly, as you start to do uh, new things uh, in and through this uh, church, that what drives you to do is really the desire to grow in maturity, to stand firm in this gospel, and to keep contending for this gospel as one man and partnering with each other in this gospel work. So to that end, may God's word encourage us and enable by spirit to help us do this. Let us pray. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, for your word uh, to us this morning. Father, we recognize and acknowledge that we are weak, but you are strong. And just as Paul says, uh, we can do all things through you who strengthen us. 
So, Father, please,、uh, would you help us to stand in His strength, to stand firm in this gospel truth? Help us not to waver. Help us, Father Lord, to contend as one man in this fellowship, in this church, so that we can continue to make Christ known in and through the gospel. And Father, we pray that、uh, in our weaknesses, in our lack, may you continue to supply all that we need. And we pray that、uh, in the end, may we continue to help more people through the gospel by your Spirit to come to know you and to put their trust in Jesus till the day of His returning. So we commit ourselves to you. We pray that you may humble us and strengthen us by your Spirit. For we ask these things through Jesus' name. Amen.